Hey, I told you to move the beans. All you have to do is move it. Move the beans. Hey, move the beans. M-O-V-E. This is the Move the Beans podcast. Stories of ordinary habits that have extraordinary results. Here's your host, Dan Abadicola. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Move the Beans podcast, stories of ordinary habits that have extraordinary results. I am in the Move the Beans podcast studio brought to you by Dominion Lighting and Solar. They exist to create a healthy and sustainable world. If you want to know more information about Dominion Lighting and Solar, go to their website, dominionlightinginc.com. And for Move the Beans listeners only, if you call and ask for the man with the dead leg, you will get a free assessment on your facility or a free assessment on your home. I also ask that you would either hit the follow the all button or the subscribe button on your podcast platform so you can hear each and every episode that I release on Tuesday morning so you'll be caught up with each and every guest as they talk about their habits that they have implemented in their lives. Well, this is a pretty special episode, episode number one of the Move the Beans podcast, and we needed a heavy hitter and we got one. Our guest today is Mr. Carson Beebe. Carson back in high school was an all-state and all-American wrestler. He went on to Purdue to wrestle there and earn a degree in business. From college, he went and fought in the MMA with a pro record of 16 and four. He was a contestant on season 14 of The Ultimate Fighter. He also was a competitor in the World Series of Fighting. Currently, he coaches UFC fighters and he coaches a youth wrestling squad that just took the state championship back in 2018. Carson is a bad mother, shut your mouth. Professionally, he is a financial advisor and planner. He has been married to his wife, Sam, for six years. They have three kids, two boys and a girl. He's obsessed with progress, an avid reader of performance psychology, financial markets, and biographies. He is an awesome guy. It was great catching up with Carson and having this conversation with him, and I know that you're gonna enjoy it. So give a big welcome to Carson Beebe. We are live in the Move the Beans podcast with uh, our special guest, Mr. Carson Beebe. How you doing, Carson? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I am really excited that you uh, have decided to kind of come in here, uh, join us for our first episode, which is kind of a landmark for the uh, the podcast. Carson and I go back a long way. I was actually Carson's youth pastor. Yes. Yeah, right? yeah that's long very, time ago. very scary, very scary. So do you remember any stories about me or any things that I did? I just remember you being extremely entertaining That's <laughs> and, uh, good. and uh, keeping it fun. Now, did I ever dress up in an Elvis suit and crawl through your window with donuts? Because I used to do that. Uh, I don't think that happened to me. It wasn't on your birthday or anything? No. Okay, so I, I definitely, that was part of my ministry uh, job. So <laughs> you didn't have counseling, so apparently I did not do that for Yeah, I think you. I made it out. Yeah, okay. yeah definitely. Uh, I don't think I could do that nowadays, but... Uh, Carson and I, I, your mom served as one of my leaders. So, yep. and you have, how many brothers do you have? I have four brothers. Okay. And they're all wrestlers? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Carson, uh, as you heard in the intro, was a um, all-American wrestler, all-state wrestler. Yes. So from wrestling, and then you went to, from Montini, you went to Purdue. Yep. And then um, from Purdue, you fought in the MMA or the UFC, or you never made the UFC. Yes, I fought uh, professionally for about six years Okay, um, after wrestling at Purdue uh, for a little while, and then uh, got started in my professional career. Okay, so I've been dying to ask you this question. Um, what does it feel like to get jacked in the face? 
Uh, not good, but I can, t- <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you in a, w- when you're in a fight, when, uh, the, the cage doors close behind you and adrenaline's going, it's not as much, uh, pain. It's more just like, uh, oh crap. Uh, that probably wasn't good. Really? Like I can't see straight. It didn't oh. really hurt, but that probably don't want that to happen. So again. because of all the adrenaline flowing in, it, ne- it doesn't necessarily hurt right off the bat. Yeah. It's not like, ow, it's just like, that was not good. You just understand that something's going on. Yeah. Okay. Is there a difference between getting jacked in the face with like a fist or a foot, which is worse? Uh, a foot or a shin would be the worst. That's like getting hit with a baseball bat. Really? Yeah. Now, and you, there's a little bit of padding on the, uh, on the fist. In the fist. Not as bad. Now, did you see, was there a fight recently? I saw it online. Some guy got like kneed in the face in like two seconds. Yes. Ben Askren. And it, is that normal? Does that happen? Uh, anything can happen. Yeah. That's what's crazy about MMA. Anything can happen at any time. And you could be the best fighter in the world and one shot can take you out. Um, but I think that was very well planned. That guy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what um, Ben was going to do and yeah. set it up well. And it just was very flawlessly executed. See, first of all, I can't watch UFC because I don't know if I'm just not enough of a man or something because I just can't take... I can't see, like, it kind of grosses me out when I see some guy get hit in the face over and over and over. I just can't take it. And so I kind of picture myself. That's why I asked you that first question, like, what does it feel like? Because if I got jacked in the face, I would just, like, if I realized, okay, that just happened, I would crawl in the corner of the ring or the round, whatever it is, and I would just fall down and I'd probably poo on myself. Well, that would be probably more normal of a reaction than uh, what we did, which was get back in there and uh, just fight. More. Oh. Yeah. It's not a natural uh, human inclination to, you know, put yourself in those situations, but it's so fun, though. Typically, how long do guys fight in, in that kind of MMA, UFC? Well, usually guys will go until, you know, early, mid 30s. OK. Yeah. And they can handle that. They, they come out of that pretty good physically or mentally or, or what do you think? Well, you're definitely going to come out with uh, some damage. Like I've got all kinds of torn ligaments in my knees and my shoulder is separated and all kinds of things like that. But um, I would say the health benefits I got from being a high level athlete for uh, a number of years, training you know two, three times a day, uh, dieting, exercising intensely, uh, the benefits, the health benefits far exceed any of the you know, arthritis or lagging injuries. I'll have or what you're feeling life. now. Yeah. So how old are you now? I'm 31. 31. Okay. So, so you probably have a little bit more soreness than the average 31 year old. Yeah. And uh, things pop a little bit more here and there and, you know, <laughs> joints bend ways that they probably shouldn't. Oh, that's, that's nice. And you'd make a, probably a nice toy for your kids, right? Yes. Now, how old are your kids? Uh, my kids are five, two and one. Okay. So are they pretty rowdy? Yeah, they're getting there. They, they, the, my two boys are one and two, so uh, I'm sure they're going to get a lot more rowdy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so this idea of Move the Beans and for our audience and for you also. So this idea kind of popped up. Uh, I was on a job site. Uh, so I'm a local pastor in the area, if you may or may not know. And then also to kind of um, support my family, I work for a lighting and solar company here in the Western Burbs. So um, I was on a job site as a project manager. We were installing some LED high efficiency lights and uh, we were in a, like a vegan kind of a hippie kitchen up north. It was creepy. Um, they were worried about the new lights and kind of the energy that was going to give off. And it was just a weird, weird kind of vibe that they were throwing out at me. Um, but the property owner wanted these lights to be put up. And I had our two electricians installing these lights and they were not from the United States or from another country. And they're great guys and they know what they're doing. One 
speaks English. The other brother, he kind of doesn't speak English. So they were installing these lights in the kitchen area. And so when you take apart like a two by four fixture, you un kind of latch the lens. And then what happens is dirt and bugs fall out and uh, they kind of just land on the floor. And so this particular time he did that and bugs and dirt fell out. And then uh, he went to grab with a four foot fluorescent lamp and he squeezed it too hard and he crushed it in his hands and glass fell to the floor. Now that would have been a big deal, but we were working in a kitchen and then he was working above a prep table that wasn't empty. It was actually uh, had food on there and it was two buckets of soaking beans. And so by the time I got to the job site, the owner of the vegan restaurant, this lady met me at the door and her face and the way she could not talk, she was very upset. I almost thought like one of my guys got killed on the job or they killed someone else, one of their employee, one of her employees. And so she was kind of ex- trying to explain like these buckets of beans were contaminated and it was very upsetting to her. Like uh, she lost a child. And so I finally figured it out and I'm like, okay, man, we're very sorry. We'll, we'll replace the beans. Um, but if my guys would have simply moved the beans, a simple habit, uh, it would have cost us uh, a lot less grief. I wouldn't have had it to talk to this lady. We wouldn't have had to pay 80 something dollars for organic beans that we had to repay them for. So um, so I, gr- I gathered my electricians together and they were great. And I was just like, hey, guys, from now on, from now on, get in the habit of moving the beans. Just move the beans. And then one of the brothers There's something said, little. Yeah, something, something I mean, little. he's like, OK. And then the other one was like, you know, he doesn't really understand. He says, I love America. And I was just like. Okay, just move the beans. Just, <laughs> just yeah, just yeah. move the beans. So that became like a mantra um, for me in the office, and then at home. Like I go home, and my kids' shoes are sitting there, and I don't even have to say, you know, so and so, get your shoes. I just say, move the beans, and my daughter comes running. She grabs her shoes and she puts them away. So this whole concept of move the beans has developed into this idea of develop little habits that create success and sets you up for extraordinary results in the future. And the more the little things you do on a daily basis and a regular basis, it'll set you up for success on a bigger and larger scale. And so that's this idea. And so um, for the listening audience and for Carson, um, this is why we're doing this podcast. So we want to learn from everyone what the little habits are in everyone's little area of expertise so that we could learn from that and move the beans in our own areas of our own life. And so Carson's here. He wears a lot of hats. Uh, He's going to share a little bit about uh, how he moves the beans professionally, uh, how he does it, you know, like uh, recreationally. He coaches uh, in family. He has three little kids. Uh, But I thought he would be kind of a a great guest to kind of kick off our first episode of Move the Beans. First of all, let's start off with uh, because of your background in MMA and wrestling, yep. you're a uh, coach for a youth wrestling squad. So tell me a little bit about that. So uh, I retired from from mixed martial arts four or five years ago, and immediately after that, I started coaching. Uh, I had to replace that, you know, intensity and that competitive drive. Uh, so I started coaching uh, youth wrestling. So uh, coach a group of elite level wrestlers, eighth graders and lower. Uh, two years ago, we were state champs. This year came up a little bit short. Uh, but in addition to that, I coach a, f- a professional fight team. Okay. Um, so I focus on wrestling with those guys. And so this is all in Chicagoland area? Yep. Okay. Um, and so is there a big fight scene in the Chicagoland area, like professional, like adults? Yeah, absolutely. It's nationwide. Um, we're trying to grow the Chicago fight team, uh, you know, more and more. Okay. Uh, but there's definitely a, a good MMA presence here. California is real big. East Coast real big. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we're fighting hard for the. They're trying the to build the Midwest. Okay. Yeah. And so, what are some things that kind of you look back at your even your college career in wrestling and then fighting MMA and then like not coaching? What have you have developed? What kind of habits have you developed in your own life that has set you up for success and um, just some great things happening now? Like, what do you see these little habits doing? Like, you could look back and go, I started that in college or I started that when I was training MMA. Well, I think. One of the biggest things is just having a process or having um, some sort of a system. So um, a great example is uh, how I use a process through coaching. So I've been involved in the sport of wrestling for you know 25 years probably. And throughout that time, I've been extremely fortunate to work with a number of high-level coaches, train with uh, some of the best fighters on the planet, um, some of the, you know, biggest names out there and I've learned a ton, but to try to take all that information and try to remember it uh, on short notice is difficult. So what I started to do in my MMA career or throughout my entire wrestling career, start to uh, write down techniques and, and different um, different positions and, and moves from, from certain positions and started a journal with that. And over about 10 years, I added to this journal and added and added and added. And now I have a pretty comprehensive technique plan. So um, break it down from every, in wrestling, there's three main positions. There's uh, top, bottom, and neutral, where you're both on your feet. How about, is run an official position? Because that's what I would do. No, okay, that's, that's not. not. Okay. You have to attack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there's offense and defense. Okay. So um, I've broken down each position, uh, you know, and, and layered out a number of different moves for every single position. And that way, when, um, when I go into practice, I don't have to remember all the technique off the top of my head. I have a catalog of all the moves that we're going to go through. And then throughout the year, I'll make sure we cover each piece. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice because I don't have to spend hours prepping for every practice or really thinking through. It's all right there. And I tweak and I improve it. And it's just little tweaks here and there to make it a little bit better and keep repeating the process over and over. And, you know, the results are uh, usually pretty well. Pretty cool. So like, so you started journaling or jotting stuff down when you were being coached, when you were Yes. The, the, the fighter. Yep. In MMA. Okay. Yep. And so you, and then you still kind of use that journal with the older guys, but also the younger, the youth wrestling too? Yes. Okay. So uh, I started to write down uh, these techniques and, and just principles as I was competing. Um, and then I started to coach and I started to use it with the kids I was working with. And I'm, uh, I'm a wrestling nerd. So I'm always, you know, watching, uh, learning from different coaches, from different uh, guys that are competing right now. And I'm adding to the, uh, adding to the technique plan and tweaking it all the time and, and just trying to make it better. Okay. As I'm listening to you uh, talk and I'm staring at you, does your wife get freaked out about those ears? I'm just saying. <laughs> she's uh, she's actually okay with them. She's uh, <laughs> Her brother was a wrestler, so okay. um, she's always kind of had a, a thing for wrestlers, so it uh, worked out well for me, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess I tell so. people all the time, you, know, you just got to get lucky one time. You, know, you find you find a girl who's okay with the ugly ears and you're good for life. She's cute without a great eyesight, which yeah. is awesome. So how many fights do you think you've, like wrestling and then MMA fights, just how many, like in your career, how many times do you think you have, like matched up against an opponent? So in MMA, I had close to 30 fights. Okay. Um, wrestling, I don't know, thousands. Thousands. Of, yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's no wonder your yeah. ears are looking like that. So you're getting <laughs> torn ligaments. Okay, so you started journaling. Yep. And so that kind of set you up for uh, your career in coaching because um, did you always think like 
when you were younger that maybe you were going to be in the coaching uh, field? Or you just started jotting stuff down and just to remember it yourself. That it was point. more selfish. Yeah. It was, okay. I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a world champion. Okay. And, uh, when I was in college, I wanted to be a national champion. And that was my primary focus of my life. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, not that I'm super proud of that, but yeah. I think yeah. Really, no, I get it. later in life, I found that there's, you know, other priorities that are, that are more important than, than just competing. But, um, yeah, I just really wanted to, to get, to get good and to remember, um, like I said, I was, I'm a nerd for technique and, and learning new stuff. And I wanted to be able to find a way that I could capture all this information and go back to it and use it on demand. Okay. Because if you learn something really great and you're like, you have that light bulb moment and then you don't write it down and you don't put it in any place, you know, six months later, if you need to like, what did, what did I learn? What did that, what is that? What was that one move in that one position? I know that I have something here, but you can't remember what it is. It doesn't really do you any good. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, you're coaching the guys in UFC or you're coaching these uh, these kids in this youth program. What is like one main principle or habit or discipline that you find yourself going to every single practice or every single time or frequently? What do you do? I think uh, more than anything, it's the mentality. Um, it's having a, a growth mindset. Um, and I try to teach this all the time. It's it's not about, you know, in practice, um, I tell tell kids or, or fighters all the time. It's not about winning the practice because nobody's getting a trophy there. It's about getting better. Um, are you able to put yourself in positions that make you uncomfortable, um, where you can work through them and try to figure things out? Um, I think that's important that you're, you're just training to get better. And your number one goal is getting better. I can't stand it when, um, you know, now my kids are starting to do sports and I get to hear some of these parents on the side and they start talking about, <laughs> isn't that great? Yeah. The mo- most important thing <laughs> is that you have fun, that you have fun and you enjoy yourself. I'm like, um, that's kind of important, but not even close to being the most important thing. Because if you want to be great at anything, there's going to be points in time where it's not fun. Yeah. Does that mean, okay, I'm not having fun anymore. I should stop. No, it means, uh, you got to push through those things. So the most important thing is that you get better. Yeah. Right. Um, and the, in the long term, you're going to get a lot of joy from succeeding and getting better and having that growth mindset. So whether, um, and then the other thing is when you, when you evaluate wins and losses, uh, it's really important to, critically evaluate, you know, what you did well and what you need to do better um, in both cases. Because a lot of times if you win, you look back and then you're like, I won. I did everything perfect. It was great. Um, but if you go back and you analyze it, there's a lot of things that you still did wrong. Yeah. Maybe you, you won, but, you know, you could have done a lot better. So yeah. you got to find the things that you know, celebrate the things that you did well and then make sure you pick up on the things that you did, did wrong. And then even the same is true in a loss. Uh, I'm sure even if you lost you can find something that you did well. Maybe you tied your shoes the right way. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You, you celebrate something, um, and maybe the list of things that you got to get better at are is longer. But you gotta you gotta hit both. Yeah. What did you do well? What can you get better? And again, the most important thing is that you just get better. Because if you win, and you're not getting better, you're not accomplishing the goal. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, it kind of sounds like. I mean, I know you're talking about wrestling and fighting, but also it. When you were talking, I kind of separating myself from what we were talking about. And you're almost talking about life in general, really. You're talking about the process. Absolutely. You're talking about getting better uh, each and every day, each and every moment, kind of evaluating what you've done and getting better. I mean, that's, it's really a principle for life. Absolutely. It's so true. Yeah. So true. In, and when you have that growth mindset, you look at obstacles completely differently. Uh, when you get hit with something unexpected or a setback 
you look at it totally differently. You don't look at it as a setback, but you look at it as an opportunity to get better. Yeah. Like, great. Now I get to battle through this thing. This is going to test my courage. It's going to test my persistence and I'm going to battle through and I'm going to get better yeah. and, uh, give me more, you know, give me more obstacles to, cause I, I, I can look back on my life and see it. The, the biggest growth that I've ever had were in, in my biggest failures, but those failures led right to massive growth. So you get excited about getting, you know, you know, kicked in the teeth and, <laughs> and, uh, it's weird. You get a messed up mentality and people don't think that way, Yeah. but, um, you know, it's a different mindset. Yeah, now where you have younger kids, now you can kind of see like, because parents, they kind of coddle their kids in sports, especially, and they want yes. their kids to be the best and they don't allow them to um, go through adversity or difficulty. And I think we're missing a huge point of life and yep. development, especially when you're talking about kids. If they don't have that development inside them to push through something and to figure something out, a problem. Uh, if we're just handing our kids all this stuff all the time, and I think we probably see that in culture now too, we just, too many things are being handed to it's people. Yeah, yeah. And we're making it easy and we're not, I think there's something for the struggle. Yep. And what you're talking about is this process that you work through the struggle. And I think you come out of it in a better way. Absolutely. So I coach um, some elite level kids, some of the you know best kids in the country. And I tell them all the time, we're going to go search for losses. We want to go find kids who are going to beat you up and beat you up bad. <laughs> Yeah. And if we got to bump up a weight class, if we got to move up an age group, then that's what we're going to do. Because we're going to go find people who are going to beat you up, make you feel uncomfortable. Um, and if you cry, it's okay. Yeah, We're going to get back to the drawing board and we're going to figure out what you need to get better at. And that's what's going to get you where you want to be. Yeah, Which is, you know, getting a scholarship uh, to college and, you know, taking this thing to the next level. Yeah. Now, um, you look pretty fit. Are you still kind of like, what kind of workout regimen do you have now currently? It's definitely falling off. So. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to fatherhood and yes. like, you know, with kids and everything. It was it was a little bit of a, a weird transition because when I was competing, um, I had a pretty clear motivation uh, to work out and to be in shape. Is if I wasn't, then uh, there's a good chance I was going to get my face smashed in. Yeah, totally. So like that gave you motivation. Yeah. And then once that was gone, now it was a little bit different going to the gym to try to you know, make my biceps bigger. Uh, the motivation just wasn't there. It yeah, wasn't totally. the same thing, but I mean, I'm so involved with coaching and I'm in the, uh, in the room on the mats, you know, at least, you know, three, four times a week. So, I mean, do you go to uh do you go like a regular health club or anything like that? Or not really? You? Okay. No, That's I probably kind of, should, but I don't, I don't. Well, it's just kind of interesting to see like, um, like an elite level athlete, like you were I training. Kenny Power say is, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be, I play real sports. So I'm not trying to be the best at exercise. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm always kind of like, cause I'm in the health club all the time. I try to go like maybe like five times a week or something like that, but I'm, I'm like a almost 52 year old guy. And I'm just like, Oh, whatever. And I go there and I think I'm doing stuff and I probably am maybe just getting there. I think is good. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but like the difference between like elite level athlete and elite level training compared to like a guy who goes to the gym, even on a regular basis and thinks he's like hitting the ball out of the park and he's barely doing anything. Like what's the difference? Like, Take me back to like your elite level training and like some of the habits that you not only think about or implement in your life, but also can be kind of stretched out to all areas of your life too. like that training of like, what is that elite level training like, you know, elite level training is uh, drills. We say uh, drills make skills. Okay. So uh, repetition, it's um, doing the same thing over and over and over. Uh, until you perfect it, until it becomes second nature. Yeah. Um, so if we're learning new technique, uh, we're learning new positions, 
It's figuring out that position, figuring out the move that you're trying to hit, and then uh, training it a thousand times, ten thousand times. Uh, ten thousand times is kind of the I don't know where I got where I heard this from, but ten thousand repetitions gets to mastery. And oh, okay. If you don't hit ten thousand reps, then you haven't achieved mastery yet. Oh, jeez. So it's a lot of reps, um, a lot of uh, drilling, uh, but drilling the right way. So now we're getting into you know a little more uh, martial arts here. But when you're drilling, you want to drill the right way, so you want to have proper resistance. Um, so you want to have a good partner who's going to give you a good look, where you're kind of you start slow and you, you you do it real slow and you kind of get the technique perfect and then you get a little bit more resistance and then you spar a little bit within those positions but you progressive you start slow and then you start to build up speed and eventually you're going live in, the, in those types of situations so the structuring the way that you drill and the way that that you're doing things is really important and if you're working out on your own it's, it's the same thing it's how do you structure are you just going in um, and going to go find a machine and just go work a machine, that's good. It's better than not doing anything. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you go in there with a plan and you know, okay, today I'm going to work on cardio. Um, I'm going to do 15 minutes on this machine, 15 minutes on this machine. That's great. Now, if you take those 15 minutes and you do a sprint, then a jog, then a sprint, then a jog, and you're moving your heart rate up and down, now you're starting to train with a purpose. Now you're going to get a lot more accomplished within the same amount of time. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, I've heard, um, you ever heard of that guy, David Goggins? He's kind of yeah. a yeah, crazy guy. He said, uh, I was listening to a podcast one time he was on it. Um, he said that most guys who work out or most people who work out um, at their full exhaustion, they're at about 40% level. They have yep. like, they leave like 60% out so there. So true. So you've seen that like, you you saw like barriers that you pushed through when you were like an elite athlete, kind yep. of like fighting for your life, literally. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So you think like, you think that's, um, I mean, that's a bad habit to get into. You kind of go, you go through your routine and you're really not doing much, but you feel tired. So it's in your mind. Yep. Okay. And the best example where I, where I figured that out was, uh, first time I had a, uh, fight go the distance. Um, I, I think 12 fights at that time, but none of them had, had gone the full distance. Okay. And the first time I went a full 15 minutes, I had never been so exhausted in my life. Uh, but I didn't have a choice. Like, you have to keep attacking because otherwise this guy's going to take my head off, yeah. right? He either kills you or you quit. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm thinking, I'm sitting in the corner. I'm like, I don't have anything left. And then the bell rings. It's like, well, I don't have a choice. <laughs> you got to get <laughs> I gotta up. got to go. Then, yeah. And I got to go after this guy because otherwise he's going to you know, he's gonna <laughs> hurt me. Um, so that's what I did. And then when I got out of the cage, I had this huge sugar crash. My body totally shut down. And, like, I wasn't able to sit down, but I couldn't stand up. It was it just a total... Uh, weird physical experience and i even through all the years of training i never pushed myself that far yeah uh and it was cool to experience like wow that's how far i can go so do you find yourself when you pass those barriers it was easier to continue to train in that level then yeah and you definitely have a lot more self-respect uh you know where you've been and you know that you can battle through those things yeah so it definitely gives you a different degree of confidence jesus that's that's just mind blowing to see like people, they walk out after a workout um, and they realize, or they just, they don't understand or they don't realize what they left in there or what yeah. they left in them. Yep. And that's the scary part because the potential for uh, us to do great things is probably in us, Yep. but we never tap into it. And I'm, I'm not talking about working out. I'm talking about in all areas of life, we get tired, we get frustrated. And what you're talking about is these processes that you've developed 
uh, will get you to push through these barriers. Yep. And so you took it from athletics and it kind of applies to a lot of different areas of your life and you're still doing it with coaching. Um, but it really is, is talking about what I'm hearing is uh, the processes of moving through things and practice and routine. Yep. It sets you up for success. Absolutely. In all areas. In, in, in the training, in the training realm, you don't need to go to that full limit, right? You don't, you don't need to go to a hundred percent of your full capacity, but you have to train at, you know, 70%, 80% on a consistent basis. So you're continually getting better so that, um, when you do have to push yourself to full capacity, you're ready to go. Gotcha. And, and you know that you have it in there. Yeah. Okay. So how does that, that principle of developing processes in your life, uh, how is that kind of bled over into maybe your personal life, uh, the way you parent uh, in your marriage relationship, maybe with your brothers or your family or whatever, uh, or in business, how, how does that process mindset kind of work out in all those areas? So it's probably easier to apply to business. So I work as a financial advisor and I work at, um, you know, I use the same principle in really defining what my, what my process is and how I work with uh, how I work with my clients, how I build things out, um, how I provide advice. Um, so having a process, it it helps because you're not shooting from the hip. You know exactly what you're doing because you've done it before, and you can keep um, you know repeating and then tweaking and improving. So definitely applies to, to my business. Applies I mean, to wrestling with financial planning. It's like I mean, if you do little things in a positive way, it's 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 a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not throwing money away on a regular basis, uh, that's going to be a good thing. If, if you're continually doing things over and over and over again um, and not being unwise with your resources, that's a good thing. And it's little things compounded over time make yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. So I work mostly with uh, high net worth individuals. You know, I've got the, the business owners and the doctors who are uh, extremely successful. But I also have uh, a lot of folks that I work with are regular People, you know, work regular jobs, not you know, tons of high money. income, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they, they started early. They saved. They, they had a good uh, saving discipline and they got their money invested. They stayed invested for the long term and they just accumulated and stacked and stacked just by, you know, 30 years worth worth of working life and making good decisions and saving not even a, an exorbitant amount over that period of time, it's very difficult to not be extremely successful. Yeah, It's cooler to me to see the people who have had regular jobs, work their whole life, and retire, you know, multimillionaires uh, just by making good decisions. Because, you know, I just got done reading uh, the biography about Warren Buffett called Snowball. Okay. Uh, and that's why it's called Snowball. It's because when you have a snowball, if you add one snowflake to it, you know, the bigger the snowball gets, the more snow it'll pick up as you're rolling it. It's definitely like that in finance, and it's that's the easiest, most quantifiable way to show you know little decisions compounded over time make a huge difference. Yeah. But it applies to everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so little things over and over, like simple things like moving the beans. Like in, in my situation on that on that project, we would have been a lot more successful. We would have made more money. Um, we wouldn't have looked awkward. Our our reputation wouldn't have taken a hit if we would have simply had the habit of just being responsible, looking around and moving those bucket of organic beans that were soaked in there. So, yep. and, and that applies to every area of life. And not only money is easy to see because you're adding money, adding money, adding money. And so you have more money at the end of it. Yep. Um, but it applies, like you said, in every little aspect of, of life. 
And I think the other thing that's important is to uh, to cheat or have uh, tricks set okay. up, right? So to like saving, for example. Now you're talking financially or uh, in everything. Just wrestling, training your kids to wrestle. Do you train them to cheat? <laughs> well. <laughs> well, let me explain what I mean okay. by that. Like to, to, to set up like little tricks or little rules that are going to force you to do it without having to think about it. Gotcha. Right. So in, in finance, it's easy. Um, if you, if you set a goal to save 10% of every dollar that you make, it's a great goal to have. Yeah. Um, but to try to remember to do that every month and you know, money hits your bank account and then you're going to, you're going to take it every month and then send it to your savings account is difficult to do. But if you have it set up on autopilot where it's just an automatic payment or even better, it gets deducted from your paycheck before it even hits your account, that's better. Yeah. So th- that's what I mean by cheating. Like y- you're setting it up on autopilot. And then if you know that, you know, I want to increase my savings rate every year, if every year you just go and you click a button and you move that 10% to 11%, that's easy to do. But yeah. if you try to go out and manually do it. So I'm a big fan of giving yourself a head start, making it as easy as possible uh, to be able to do those things. Okay. So do you think the like little processes and the little things that you set up in your own life to kind of remind, like, what are some reminders that you have to kind of keep you focused and on that path or on the process, whether it be, whether it be financially, athletically, is there any like little reminders that you have to say, okay, I need to focus in a little bit. I need to be reminded of the fact that I have a bigger plan. It's just not for this moment, but it's a bigger plan for saving. It's a bigger plan for coaching or mm-hmm. direction in life. What are, what are some simple, like little uh, reminders that you keep or are there? Well, one one thing that I started doing back in college, and this was out of um, pretty big failure that I had. Um, I had my, when I was in college, I had my priorities all messed up. Uh, my number one focus was wrestling. I thought that was everything. Okay. Wrestling was the number one important thing to me. Uh, faith was very far below. Um, my family uh, was far below that. My academics were far below that. <laughs> so I had this great opportunity uh, to get a scholarship and to wrestle at Purdue, which was a phenomenal uh, academic uh, institution. And I had the opportunity to learn from some of the greatest professors and study with some of the smartest kids in the country, totally squandered that opportunity because yeah. all I did was focus on wrestling. Um, failed in the classroom, didn't quite fail out of school, but you know, pretty close to it. Yeah. Um, wasn't able to continue going to that school anymore because all I cared about was wrestling and not academics. So from there, I started to just very simply write down my priorities. And and now I know them very clearly. I try to write them down as as often uh, or as frequently as I can. Number one is faith. Number two is my family. Number three is my work and finance. And uh, number four is wrestling. And every decision I make, I try to filter through those priorities. Now, some of those priorities may be more interesting to me at certain times than than others. But at the end of the day, I know what is most important. And if I'm not executing on those things, it's easier to hold myself accountable. That's interesting. Your list kind of flipped. Yeah. uh, As you got a little older and wiser and understand, understand how life works. And uh, so faith is number one. Yep. And so, um, and then what was you said? Family. Family. And then um, work. Work and then wrestling. wrestling. Okay. So, so faith, how does, how does a faith component kind of override like, or kind of let everything kind of fall underneath that umbrella of your faith. How does that work out with being disciplined, having good habits? How does that, what does that look like? 
So I, I love reading. I love digging into stuff like we're talking about now, just uh, ways to get better. I'm obsessed with progress. I'm obsessed with getting better. But everything that everything I learn, every principle that I learn, I fact check it with the Bible. Okay. I make sure that it's truth. And uh, it's uh, not that all that surprising that all the, you know, most of the best ideas that, that make a lot of sense and that work are clearly spelled out in the Bible. Okay. So just like that growth mentality, um, being able to take adversity and, and use it to grow from. That is uh, filtered out. Oh, know, absolutely. You kind of see that all through. over the Gospels. Yeah, 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 all over the Gospels. So, um, you know, the Bible says that rejoice in your sufferings because it, suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance builds character and character leads to hope. Yeah. So it's uh, that mentality and just fact-checking everything that you learn with truth. And um, so, so that's huge. Yeah. If you were this fired up about Jesus, my life as your youth pastor would have been a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, it happened a just, little bit later. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. I had to kick you in the teeth a couple of times. I should have just kicked you in the teeth and started the process earlier. Go. What yep. the heck? Well, that's well, I, I, but I think that's a normal, sometimes a normal progression for people. Um, they're young, and depending on uh, the family situation, and depending on, depending on where you're focused, you were a really great athlete even back then. And so I'm sure like uh, your career at Montini was, I mean, you had to do your schoolwork, but it was a lot about wrestling too. Yep. Uh, and then you went to college for it. And yep. so it, your focus was, you know, when you throw um, all that, um, you know, athletic attention onto a kid um, at an early age, kids aren't able to handle that kind of stuff. Yep. And I think if you don't have a good structure around you, I think it's, it maybe that's, it can kind of turn for the worst kind of thing. So that's a really good point too. So I try to think about that as I'm raising my own kids and yeah. they're still pretty young, but um, to actually make, to clearly list out their priorities and what my priorities are for them as well. Yeah. I, I want them to be the same. And it's one thing to say, you know, your school is more important than wrestling. Um, but it's a little bit different when you say, okay, who did I wrestle? You can name every single person you wrestled last week, what the score was, what they got me, what I took them down with, what they, what I took them down with. Um, but you can't name my history professor. Uh, you don't know, you know, uh, what I'm studying in science. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's a little different. So um, as a parent, I want to make sure that I'm focusing on the right things with them and that my attention and my focus is on the, the, the correct priorities and not the wrong ones so that yeah. they don't go through, go down the same path I did. Yeah. And so I think that's important because I think we live in a culture where we, um, I think we focus on the wrong things, especially as parents, um, especially with sports that, you know, when we talk about sports, I, I think we want to see our kids succeed for the wrong reasons. Yep. Um, and I think that kind of shows up sometimes kids, they begin to hate the sport or they don't want to be involved in the sport anymore. And they kind of go off and do their own thing. Um, so it becomes, I mean, there's just problems on top of problems if you don't have the right focus and the right intention behind it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes back to it's about getting better. It's not just about winning. Uh, it's not just about, you know, uh, getting trophies and um, participation trophies or going to find the easiest competition so you can be at the top of the podium. Yeah. Uh, it's about challenging yourself and finding ways to get better. Yeah. It's yeah. not about winning. It's about getting better. So I have this one thing. I have this like crazy obsession with shopping carts that are left in parking lots. It drives me crazy. I hate my biggest pet peeve is lazy. Um, and I just can't stand when people just leave shopping carts in the middle of parking lots. And so it used to tick. Well, it still does tick me off. I'll be honest. It just it sets me off a little bit. But now I do some about it. because So I see the shopping cart sitting there 
And instead of like getting all mad and like, I can't believe this. So I park really far from the door wherever I go because, so that's a habit too. So if walking is healthy, which it is, I mean, yeah. no one's going to dispute that. So walking further is going to be healthier. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be healthier. And so I park as far as I can from the door as possible without looking like a freak. Okay. Yeah. So I'm at Jewel. I pull up, I park in the middle of nowhere. And by the time, you know, I start walking the door, I could probably pick up four or five carts that people have left out there. So I usually pick up one. I'm not a superhero. I'm not going to do four or five. So, um, <laughs> so I pick up one and it, but just, it annoys me to no end that people just leave like carts out there. So I could be mad and frustrated and cranky old 52 year old. Um, but I use it to remind myself that, um, I need to be disciplined. I can't be lazy. Yeah. Just because someone else was lazy, I can't be mad and bent out of shape about that. But it's a reminder to me that I need to develop myself and make good habits and make good decisions and be disciplined in certain areas of my life. So for me, that does it. So like, because yeah. I'm I'm parking, I'm walking into stores all the time. I have a big family. I can go to the grocery store like six times a day. So I could be doing this a lot a yeah. day, you know, every day. So are there like, is there like one little habit that you do that kind of sets you off and goes... And just in your head, just like a little check mark that says, you know what? I'm on it today. I, I got to be the person I want to be. And it's just like this tiny little habit that maybe no one sees or knows about that sets you up for success. Because, you know, me returning carts isn't going to change the world. Yeah. But what it does to me, it tells me that I need to be better. And just like you said, it's not about winning. It's about being better. Yeah, it's about it's just about getting better in progress. Just trying to think of little tricks that I do. I'm a big fan of those tricks, right? Because if, if you park far away from the door, you park there and now you're, you're forced to walk that distance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now yeah. you have to, right? Yeah. You've already, you, you've set the the bar. If you want to get back to your car, you have to walk that distance. Yeah. Like, there's no other choice. <laughs> I can't call like Uber to come yeah. pick me up halfway through the park. So I'm a big fan of making decisions that, that are going to force you uh, to, to force you to do those things. To make you uncomfortable. Yeah. Makes you uncomfortable. Um, I can just tell you some things. When when, when I was growing up, I had uh, a buddy of mine. His dad was a uh, uh, ex Green Beret. Oh, okay. And uh, he used to find ways to to get us to to train harder. And he was crazy. And uh, one of the things he did was he drove. Um, he drove. I think it was probably three or four miles away from home. And uh, he kicked us out of the car. And he said, I'm timing you. You have, you know, X amount of time to get home. And if you don't get home in that period of time, I'm driving you back and you got to do it again. So. And this wasn't even your, this was your friend's dad. Yes. This was uh, my friend's dad. Yeah. So this is the kind of. Did you guys have, did, did you guys have cell phones back in the day or? No. Okay. So yeah. if I had a cell phone, I would have called DCFS. Yes. I would well, have just called, I would just got on the line and called him really quick. Yeah. But you have to understand you're dealing with a green beret. That's He's true. Smarter than. The- <laughs> That's probably smarter, but you know, I would have been safe for the night at least, you know? Yes. Uh, but that was one of the things that, you know, probably not a great way to learn that lesson, but you learn the lesson nonetheless that you, you know, you set yourself out there and you have no choice, but you, you got to push through it. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I would think like just kind of overall kind of hearing what you're saying is this idea of progress, staying in tune with, uh, kind of who you're called to be Yes. and always getting better. And so the getting better for you is the moving the beans part. Yes. And, and, yeah. I would, I would take that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's just about getting a little bit better, yeah. right? So um, one of the things that we talk about with our kids is getting 1% better every day. Yeah. Um, now, there's not a limit to that. You can get 2% better. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, you yeah. can get 10% better. But if you're, you're always getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, you, you will hit those light bulb moments where you'll hit a massive jump. 
right? Uh, but if you're getting a little bit better and a little bit better, those massive jumps will happen more frequently. Yeah. Um, but as long as you're not taking any steps backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you have a kind of a crazy um, MMA fight story. I can tell you one story. I was training with people who are uh, MMA fight fans would know uh, this guy, Shoney Carter. He's from uh, Chicago area. Okay. So I was training with him and uh, we we're sparring and I was doing pretty well. And he's kind of like a legend in MMA. And I was uh, sparring, it was a five minute round and I was doing really, really well. So I was getting a little confident and I was bouncing around and I'm a young guy and I'm, you know, doing pretty good against this guy who's, uh, who's really well known. And I just keep, I, I figured out if I just circle left, he can't hit me because just the way his stance was, I'm like, so I'm just going to keep circling left and I'll just keep hitting him. So I'm circling left, circling left, circling left. And, uh, at the end of the round, you hear a clapper. So it, Gives you like the 10 second timer. Okay. So I hear that clapper and I'm like, sweet, I'm going to coast out of this round and I'm going to feel good. And then all of a sudden he hits me with a spinning back fist. I'm circling left, circling left, circling left. And then all of a sudden from the left side comes the back of his fist and just Gosh. blocks me, drops me to my knee and uh, put me out. I couldn't finish the round. I was like, I'm done. And uh, it almost knocked me out cold uh, in that. But So he's just was he just setting you up with that little... Yes, left. and what's crazy is that's what he's famous for. Really? Uh, he's got uh, highlight reels on the UFC of knocking out uh, Matt Serra with a spinning back fist. So really? it was uh, it was crazy that it happened, but it was actually kind of cool. I'm like, he got me with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, as far as like physically, you're not that big of a guy. Is it like were you a small guy or were you like an average guy in MMA? Uh, I competed most of my big fights at 135, okay. 135 pounds. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, but. You cut a lot of weight. Yeah. So I'd walk around at, you know, close to 150 um, and then fight at 135. And so you would lose 15 pounds. Like how long would it take you to lose 15 pounds? It would take me, you know, it, it's a process. Yeah. You know, so th- what what was crazy is I got it down to a science to where uh, your weigh-ins are, are 24 hours before the fight. So I'd be able to step on the scale at 135 and then uh, less than 24 hours later, step in the cage and be 152. So you can go right back up. Yeah. As long as you weighed in at that weight, then you could. So yes. Jeez. So, but again, it's a process in, in, in cutting weight the right way. Yeah. Um, being able to set up your body. You want to, uh, you know, overhydrate so that you can flush out all the water weight and then you kind of replenish right afterwards. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So you look back on your, uh, your professional like fighting career, any regrets that you had? I mean, maybe not attaining something like maybe at the moment, not attaining what your, your goal was. Um, but like looking back now, you have some wisdom, you have some better understanding of who you are. You have a better understanding of life. Um, like any regrets in the, in the fighting scene. There was definitely disappointments. Uh, my goal was always to be a world champion and I did not accomplish that. Um, so there was disappointment, but not necessarily regrets because all of the disappointments and the biggest disappointments I had led to growth and led to getting me to where I'm at yeah, right now, yeah. which I'm pretty happy about. Absolutely. Got a beautiful family, a good career, and I get to coach and, and be involved in the sport that I love. Yeah. yeah. Um, so not necessarily regrets, but, you know, when I was on The Ultimate Fighter, um, I was on The Ultimate Fighter, the TV show, and it was one of the seasons where you had to win a fight to actually get into the house. So I was on the first episode. And I got matched up against um, a stud guy who was real, real good. And we had a pretty good battle back and forth, but I ended up losing um, and was on the ba- on the next flight home. So oh, wow. So kind of stuck me on a plane and see you later. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. You're done. 
Yeah. Fresh meat is gone and you're done. And then uh, they sent me a check for my efforts for, I think, like 500 bucks. That was it? Yeah, that was it. And like, you know, 20% of that was going to taxes. And it's like, great. This is a very uh, lucrative career. I'm Absolutely. Um, but I don't think I have any regrets. Uh, I had some some pretty cool experiences. Um, fought, pushed myself out of my comfort zone plenty of times. Um, was able to, to fight at some on some pretty cool stages. Like yeah. I fought at Mandalay Bay uh, in Vegas, Hard Rock in Vegas, Atlantic City, Miami. So I did some cool stuff. I didn't accomplish everything I wanted to. Yeah. Um, but it uh, was definitely a growth experience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so it set you up for success now. Yeah. All the stuff that you've been doing. But I think, and like I said earlier, that's a part of life. You kind of live and you kind of learn and you have some high moments and some low moments and you kind of figure it out. And you... You know, at the, at the end of the day or at the end of that season, you're better than you were when you started. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so the whole understanding and just kind of recap and the summary of uh, of Carson, I, I love the idea of it's all about the process. It's not about winning all the time. It's about getting better. Yes. And I think how that fits into the whole uh, move the beans concept and it fits in perfectly because it's all about the process of moving the beans. And if it's like if you see something that needs to be done, you might not be able to accomplish it all in one chunk. Yep. But it's about the process of moving towards that success of attaining that goal or what you want to be or what you want to accomplish. And it's about the process. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about consistency and sticking to it because, so like you said, you can't get it all done in one day, but if you have, the longer your time horizon is, the more you can get accomplished, right? Yeah. So if you're only willing to set a goal three years out, that's, that's great. You can stick to your goal for three years. But if I can set my goal for seven years out, uh, I could probably get a whole lot more done in seven years than you can in three years. Yeah. Uh, because it's just that much more time. Now, the difficult part is staying focused and staying committed for seven years versus three. It's easier to stick with something for three years, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's where, you know, the consistency and, and persistency and, uh, you know, focus and commitment comes in. Yeah. So where do you see yourself? Kind of last final question. Where do you see yourself? in like 20 years you're 31 you said right yes so 50 51 you'll be my age where do you see yourself well i've thought about this a little bit oh good 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 (laughs) so uh retired being done working for myself but still working probably full-time but just uh working uh for free or just giving back and some sort of a some sort of a, a service type of role whether it's ministry or um, you know, politics or just, just something where I'm giving back and not receiving. Helping people yeah, out. Helping yeah, helping people. Um, you know, being a full-time assistant to my kids and whatever ventures they're after, whether yeah. it's business or um, just being full-time with, with them and supporting them everything that they're doing, being completely financially free, able to do whatever I want, and then go out and work for free helping other people. Yeah, yeah. So that's... Well, that's, you got 20 years to kind of set yourself up for that. But yep. if you're kind of living the way you're talking, it's about the process of getting there Yep. and doing things in a small, small way that sets you up for a great success. Absolutely. That's, that's moving the beans right there. Exactly. Carson, thanks so much for being here. Uh, really appreciate it. Just your, your wisdom and your knowledge and your couple of your weird stories about getting kicked in the face. That was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, folks, if you like this episode, uh, I'm sure you did. Um, 
please hit the subscribe button or the follow button or the all button. You can catch every episode of Move the Beans. And we thank Carson for being here. Carson, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, we will see you next time on the Move the Beans podcast. And until that time, come on, folks, move the beans. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.